Good morning, church. I'm so glad that you've chosen to worship with us. I want to especially welcome those who are worshiping with online. We have some special guests, including my family. So hello, Sophie, Amelia, Scott, Cindy, and Lala. I want to give you all a special shout out. But we appreciate anybody who worships with us online. If you're traveling, it's a great way to stay connected. Hop onto our Facebook page. So I do have a special announcement. As many of you know, we have had our part of our property for sale to help pay down some of our debt, and we have an offer on the house. And so as a church body, one of the things we do is that we have these things called called church conferences. And so part of my duty as your pastor is to announce that in two weeks, we're having a called church conference to announce or to discuss the sale of the property. So two weeks, October 13th, after worship, everyone who is a partner has opportunity to vote. Everyone is welcome to come and, and hear, but only those who are partners will be able to vote on that particular issue. So October 13th, we'll be sending out lots of information over the e-news, and so you can kind of be prepared for that particular meeting. But it's exciting. These are exciting days. God is doing some great things. We got the giant check from our conference, and God is just really helping us work through this debt that we have because we do see it as a way that is, has been a bit of a barrier for us for ministry, and so God is clearing the path. So that is a praise be to God that we have these opportunities to do that. So today we're continuing the sermon series. Thank you, Ashley, last week for opening up our sermon series on Ephesians. I love the book of Ephesians because Ephesians kind of walks us through the life of faith. Ashley shared kind of the opening words, praise God from whom all blessings flow, the great doxology that y'all sang last week, that the church has been singing for generation upon generation, and just reminding us all the great things that God has done in our lives and today we get to talk about one of those iconic passages of Scripture that talked about that salvation is a free gift from God, that God so desires relationship with all of humanity that he offers the greatest gift that God can possibly offer, and it is incredibly good news. And what we're going to talk about today is how when we are made new, when we become new people because we accept that gift, it should change the course of our life. We were walking one way. And because we say yes to God, we should change direction. And so to sort of kind of start us off, I asked Debbie Palmer, one of our beloved partners here who does so much for the church. Uh, she's just an incredible lady. She volunteers with the American Cancer Society, driving cancer patient. She prepares the food for the kids and for the bridge worship service. She reads with, in the elementary schools. She's recently retired from a teacher for how many years were you a teacher? 24 years as a teacher in high school, no doubt, no less. So... Um, <laughs> I asked if I could share her story, and this is her story about how God has changed the course of her life. As the oldest of the yours, mine, and ours union, I grew up knowing that I was blessed. The three mom brought in were judged not good enough by Pop, the dad, and the two Pop brought in were judged not good enough by Mom. I was the firstborn of that marriage that would be filled with turmoil and disruptions for over 50 years. Mom was raised Greek Orthodox and became Episcopalian. Pop was raised Seventh-day Adventist and became alcoholic. These clashes and beliefs sent the older five into a tailspin, searching for happiness and acceptance in temporal earthly pleasures. I simply grabbed the responsibility of being the oldest and the tools of my hands and took the, the hands of my little sister and little brother to walk to church every Sunday morning. We left the inevitable trauma of Hangover Sunday to find sanctuary in the only place that I knew would be safe. We walked to every church we could find. We went to all of them. I vowed to say a month, and if the fit wasn't there, we would move on. Don't ask me what the fit was. I was only 11 years old and had no idea. I suppose the, the fit would ultimately reveal itself to me. 
I knew I was blessed. We had neighbors who would take us to faraway buildings for church. We had aunts who would take us to the Greek Orthodox Church. When my grandmother came to town, we all went to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Still nothing fit. I felt nothing but the words tossed around in each of the buildings we went to. I was thankful for the safe haven from the hangover, but the inevitability of returning home came like clockwork. Exactly one after we started, we had to go home. The walk was longer than the service. My siblings were growing weary and ready to stay home and figure out another way to find safety from the hangover. Luckily, a friend from school told me about a church which was about four miles from home. I feared why not. On a not-so-bright and early Sunday morning, the three of us started out before the sun on that long, dry trek. We walked west and went almost the entire way, and we sang every song we knew. About that time, I could see the sign that read, Glen Arbor Methodist Church. I saw a car pull out of the parking lot and headed east. When it minutes, that tan car pulled a U-turn and drove next to us. Inside was the most glowing man I'd ever seen. He was huge both in height and girth. His smile lit up the entire world. Where are y'all going, the man asked. We're going to church, I replied. Which one? The one up there. I am too. You want a ride? Of course, in those days, nobody thought anything strange about hitching a ride with strangers, but, you know, maybe not do that today. (laughs) That was how I met the man who had become a type of surrogate father for me. The Reverend George Francis Ritter became my brother George. He taught me love by showing love. He picked up the three Wilkins kids every Sunday morning for more than just church. We found it. God's love, light, and protection. Brother George taught us that true love rarely touches anything but the heart and just as God does. He taught us that by loving each other as we are and where we are is imperative to opening up another world to the beauty of God's created world. On on April 14, 1969, Brother George baptized Larry, Sherry, and me, making disciples of all three of us. Years later, he would baptize my husband and my children. When he passed away, I was in the room promising that I would become the teacher that God wanted me to be. Oh, yes, I have been blessed, but I needed a helping hand to find my value in God. Brother George did that for me. It is time now for me to pay it forward. It is time for me to follow his lead in Christ's call to go and make disciples of nations. From the moment I met Brother George, I found it. I found comfort, love, belonging. I found all the promises about God. He took all three of us under wing and taught us that he was the only, mess- only the messenger assigned, us, assigned to us. He wanted each of us to develop a heart for God, a servant attitude, and confidence that only comes from our Father. Everyone else in the family passed away, the older siblings. I'm not sure that they had God in their heart, and that thought is heavy. But the three of us, Sunday morning sanctuary seekers, gladly serve God. Sherry sets, us, sets up service for her church. My brother Larry is a pastor. Me, I serve when and where I can. Yes, it found us, and we are grateful and blessed. I found the sanctuary I needed. The funny thing is that my sanctuary always walked right next to me, urging me to get over my stutter, my fear, and myself. Debbie, thank you for sharing that with us. So you see, when we come to know Jesus, usually invited by someone wonderful like Father George, it changes the course in their life, right? Debbie, it changed the course that your life was heading. It provided sanctuary, it provided protection, and provided new life for her. And the service that she does now is because she gave her life to Christ so many years ago. And that is true for all of us. And so our message this morning, for some of us, we know we can say the date, minute, time of when we gave our life to Christ. 
And, and some of this stuff you've heard before, but I want it to be an encouragement to you. Hearing other people's stories, being reminded of the great thing that God has done for you in your life is something that we need to hear. And also be reminded, as the founder of the Wesleyan Movement tells us, that we were saved, we are saved, and we will be saved because, in a sense, that salvation is a lifelong work that God is doing in you. It doesn't something that just happened once in your life and then you're done and God is through with you. It is the beginning of a lifelong journey that God has set before you, the path that God has put your feet on. And if there's people in this room who have not experienced that love, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I want to be loved. I want to experience belonging. I want to know a Savior who cares so deeply that he would go to a cross. I pray that you open your heart and mind to this message so that you too can say yes to the God who loves you so deeply. Our scripture this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. At one time you were like a dead person because of the things you did wrong and your offenses against God. Anybody watch The Walking Dead? Anybody? Anybody into zombies? I know there's at least one person in this room that was, because we were talking about it. That's what I think of when he talks about you were dead, is that we were all zombies. I don't know if you know this about zombies, but they eat brains or they eat human flesh. And that is the one and only thing they can think about is by feeding themselves. They've lost all hope of being human. That's the imagery that Paul has for us this morning, is that before we had Jesus, we were zombies, driven directly and solely after the satisfaction of our desires. You were once like a dead person. You used to live like people of the world. You followed the rule of destructive spiritual power. This is the spirit of disobedience that will to God's will that is now at work in persons whose lives are characterized by disobedience. You used to live like people in the world. Now I want us to be very careful. This is not supposed to be read as Christians in a spirit of judgment, like those bad people over there. It's to remind us that we once too were sinners, and we have no right or no business to judge anyone who's making mistakes in this world. We want them to know Christ because we love them, not because we think that they are less than us. Paul is reminding the, the, the church in Ephesus that they used to be like everyone else. And it only is by the great and powerful mercy of the Savior Jesus Christ that they are who they are today, that they are the church. Never judge people who don't know Christ. We are called to love them. But we are to be reminded that sin is disobedience of God. We're told that sin is missing the mark, that God had designed humans to serve God in this world through love and kindness and grace and mercy. That's what we're told. That's, the, that's what we are called to be made for. We have missed the mark as a people. Sin is destruction. It is the things that we do that breaks our relationship with each other, our relationship with God, and the relationship with God's created world. So anything that you do that causes destruction is sin. Anytime it breaks relationship, it's sin. And we're called out of that life. We were once dead. At one time, you were like those persons. All of you used to do whatever felt good and whatever you thought you wanted so that you were children headed for punishment just like everyone else. I think this is a verse our world needs to hear today. 
We're in a society right now that says if it feels good, if you like it, if you want it, it's good for you. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. It's not about what we want. It's not about what we desire. It's not about what makes us feel good or feel wonderful in life. It's about being obedient to God. It's seeking God's will for our life. Really interesting thing. It says you are children headed for punishment just like everyone else. Sometimes when we think about the punishment of God, we think of like this fiery burning furnace and, or a, a devil with a pitchfork, right? Like punishing us, stabbing us for the rest of eternity. But that's not the imagery that Paul uses here. He says we're like children headed for punishment. When we punish our children, do we want to hurt them? No. That's the way we are in sin. We're heading for punishment because of what we're doing causes destruction in the world. And just like God, or just like we don't want to harm our children, God doesn't want to harm us with punishment. God wants our punishment to be directive. He wants to disciple us. He wants to discipline us. The punishment that God does is about discipline. It's about making us who God wants us to be. So if we experience that punishment, don't think that God is just doing something to make you hurt or feel pain or suffer. God is trying to make you into who God wants you to be. You are saved. Oh, I skipped ahead. Sorry. However, I love the big however or the big but here. However, God is rich in mercy. He brought us to life with Christ while we were dead as a result of the things that we had done wrong. He did this because of the great love that he has for us. You are saved by God's grace. What a beautiful passage of scripture this morning. His great mercy. God did this because of God's great love for you, for me, for the world. He did this out of his great love for us. And we are saved by his grace, not by our works, but by God's grace. That word salvation is a really beautiful word. It's, it's sozo in the original Greek. And I, and I point that out because it really means healing. God heals us. Salvation isn't just simply about spiritual healing. It's about full, holistic, bodily reconciliation to God. Our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our spirits, everything that we have. When it says that God saves us through the grace of Jesus Christ, he's talking about healing every part of us, everything that's broken in our life. That is what God wants to heal. It doesn't mean it's going to be necessarily instantaneous. But God is going to work in your life until every bit of it is, that is broken, every darkness is full of light, and everything that is broken is repaired. And God is going to continue that work throughout your life, through God's grace and salvation. And God raised us up and seated us in the heavens with Christ Jesus. Again, this is something astounding that we can just sort of read over and, and not notice and not pay attention to. We just sang in a song about how Jesus is on a throne in heaven with God. And this is telling us that we are raised up as followers of Jesus to sit next to Jesus on the throne with him. This is what God looks at you. When you say yes to God and you accept salvation in your life, you are someone who is worthy to sit next to the throne, on the throne, not next to the throne, on the throne with Jesus. We're exalted and lifted up. God has a purpose and a plan for you. And it's not some small thing. Sometimes I think we want to we make this, you know, yeah, we give our life to Christ, but we're not really going to change the direction of our life. Someone who is sitting on the throne with Jesus cannot continue on the same path that they were on before. We are lifted up and sitting on the throne 
next to Christ Jesus. It's hard to say this, but this gets even better. God did this to show future generations the greatness of his grace by the goodness that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. That salvation is God's gift. It is not something you possessed. It is not something that you did that you can be proud of. This is a verse that I think almost every Christian has probably heard at some point. We are saved by grace. It's not something we did. We are given salvation by what God has done in our life. There's nothing we can do to earn it. It is a free gift from God that we say yes to Jesus, the one who's been wooing us our entire life. That's what we believe, is that God has been in every single person's life begging them to say yes and here at this moment, we finally say yes to God out of his great grace. Giving us that which we do not deserve. That's what grace is. God is just saying yes. And here it is. Here's this great and abundant life that I have prepared for you. Salvation is free. Although it's really interesting. That word faith, yet yeah, does mean belief and acceptance of what God has done. But it also means fidelity. And fidelity means that we have to give our allegiance to God. We say Jesus, our Lord and Savior. It can't simply be, yes, you've saved me, and it, does, again, doesn't change anything about my life. Jesus has to be your Lord. You need to give your allegiance. He is your King. He is your Christ. He is your Messiah. That should change everything about how we do, how we live, how we love, how we act. doesn't mean you're going to have it all figured out just because you say yes to God, but we are a work in progress, and hopefully each day, the next day is a little bit better. And the day after that is a little bit better. And the day after that is a little bit better. Until we look back at our life, like we talked about with Debbie's, and you see where you've come. And you say, that's where I was. But I'm this new creation in Jesus Christ. People don't always quote verse 10, but I think it is just as important. It says, instead, we are God's accomplishment created in Christ Jesus to do good things that God planned for us to do these good things to be the way that we live our lives. (laughs) You know, a lot of times we argue about faith versus works. I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it best. Can we put that scripture back up on the screen, please? I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this the best. He said, salvation is a free gift from God. Discipleship will cost you your life. So it is a free gift of God that we are given, that we are brought, that we are raised up as people, as followers of Jesus. But then there is work to be done. It says we are created for good works. It says that God designed these good works. At the creation of time, when God imagined humanity, he had good works in mind for us as the church, as the people of God. It's not an option. It is what we do. When we are saved by grace, we realize that we... I love the, the translation that some of you use. We are God's handiwork. We are God's handiwork. I think of, of like an artisan making something beautiful, crafting, spending hours and hours upon it. That is what the scriptures are telling us. You are God's handiwork. You've been crafted specifically for a purpose, and that purpose is to do good works in this world. We were all lost in sin. It's the story of faith. We were lost. And somehow a father, George, came into our life and said, hey, why don't you come learn about this Jesus? And when we said yes to Jesus, it changed something about us. It made us different. We became new people. And it set us on this path. We put our foot on a new path for life. I want to read you another 
verse from Scripture because I never really thought about it, but I think hearing about it this time when I was doing my studies kind of highlighted what we're talking about this morning. You may have heard about the demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5, where Jesus goes to a town. There's a man possessed by demons. Jesus asks the name of the demon. He says, we're legion. And they're like, don't kill us or whatever, but send us into those pigs. And Jesus does that, and he sends the, the demons and the pig, and they run off to a cliff, right? And then the people get mad because pigs are valuable, and they kick Jesus out. And Jesus is trying to leave, and the man that he saved is trying to get in the boat. This is what it says. While he was climbing the boat, the one who had been demon-possessed pleaded with Jesus to let him come along as one of his disciples. We can understand this, right? We meet Jesus. We want to go, right? We want to go to that little safe place wherever Jesus is. You know, in this situation, it wouldn't be safe, right? But that's what it seems like to us, right? We want Jesus to take us away from all of our problems because he knew that he would have to go and face the people who would see him as the demon-possessed man, right? He would have to go back to those same people, the same villagers who just had all their pigs die, And he's like, I want to get in the boat with you, Jesus. But Jesus wouldn't allow it. Go home to your own people, Jesus said, and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. The man went away again to proclaim in the ten cities all that Jesus had done, and everyone was amazed. Isn't that what we want to do? We want to get in the boat. We want to go to that happy place where Jesus is. But Jesus is like, no, get out of the boat, and you go tell everyone of God's great mercy. You go tell all of those people who used to know you in the way you are, all those people who are going to judge you, all those people who probably won't believe that you've changed. And you go back to them, and you tell them about Jesus. Tell them about me, I guess he was saying the story. You tell them about the great things God has done. That's what we're called to do, folks. Whether by word or deed, we have been saved. It's the greatest gift that God gives us. But let us not forget that is the beginning of the journey. It's the beginning of the mission that God sets for us in our life. We are called to do good works. We are God's handiwork. God has made us, has designed us for good works in this world. And there are people who are desperately to hear your story about how God has worked mercy in your life. God is calling you to be Father George. And there's people who need to hear your story. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.